Hey there, it's June 5th, and this is the Sunday edition of CNN 5 Things. I'm David Rind. This month marks 50 years since the Watergate break-in. And I'm going to level with you guys here. I was not alive during Watergate, not even close. But I have heard stories from my parents and other people who were around during that time. And they say those congressional hearings were absolutely wild. People would stop everything they were doing in the middle of the day just so they could sit down and watch. The story was that compelling and that consequential. I mean, President Nixon did eventually resign. And yet, some people would argue that January 6th, the attack on the Capitol and everything that led up to it, is a more important story. This was an attack on American democracy like we've never seen before. But the hearings associated with it have not reached Watergate-esque levels yet. Outside of one public hearing focusing on what law enforcement went through on that day, the House Select Committee investigating January 6th has done much of its work behind closed doors. Well, that changes this week. On Thursday, the committee will kick off a series of high-profile public hearings as it gets ready to tell the American people what it's learned about one of the darkest days in our country's history. So today, let's spend five minutes with CNN congressional correspondent Ryan Nobles. He's been covering every twist and turn of this investigation. First of all, Ryan, what are these hearings that start this week going to look like? Well, they're really hoping to put on a show, frankly. Uh, One of the things that the committee members have told us time and time again, that they don't want this to be a stodgy, boring hearing uh, that looks like just a bunch of people lecturing uh, a crowd. They want this to be a multimedia presentation that really spells out a narrative about what happened on the period of time leading up to January 6th and then on January 6th itself. Uh, So that means uh, that we could see, uh, obviously, some new video from the attack itself. It could also mean that we may see clips of some of these depositions that have already taken place behind closed doors uh, with some of the witness testimony. Uh, It could mean uh, actual physical witnesses in front of the panel that are going to be asked tough questions. Uh, they are going to do two of these in prime time, at least at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Oh, at night, Uh, not, not during the day. Yeah, right. And so they're, they want to capture a big audience. Uh, they kind of understand that there's been a lot of time that has passed. They've learned so much between the first group of hearings as opposed to what they have uh, accumulated up until now. And part of this is going to be distilling some of that information that they've learned. Right. So what have they learned? What has stuck out to you? I think the most important thing that the committee hopes to reveal is that they really want to crystallize the lack of action by the former president, Donald Trump, during the most important period of time during this insurrection. The committee has firsthand testimony now that he was sitting in the dining room next to the Oval Office watching the attack on television. We have firsthand testimony uh, that his daughter, Ivanka, uh, went in at least twice uh, to ask him to please stop this violence. They often talk about that 187 minutes, which was the period of time between when uh, rioters first breached the Capitol complex uh, to when the former president finally uh, put out a a video message telling his supporters to leave the Capitol. At the same time the violent assault was happening, he's watching television. He's also calling at least one senator urging delay of the electoral vote. Second thing I would say is 
uh, the one thing that we've really uncovered through our reporting is just how important of a role Mark Meadows played in all of this. But I think what people are going to understand about the Meadows text messages is how horrible they are. When I saw some of the language that was being used in there, I actually had to get away from the computer a couple times as I was looking at these text messages. And he was really the nexus between all these different factions that had the specific goal of undermining and, and attempting to prevent the certification of the election results. Let me just tell you, the text messages include messages from Trump's family, Donald Trump Jr., Ivanka Trump, Jared Kushner. As he was talking to the campaign. He was obviously had uh, uh, an important role in the White House itself, but he was also talking to these right-wing groups uh, that were uh, planning the rallies, uh, that were raising money, and were a part of trying to bring a crowd to Washington on January 6th. Uh, in addition, there are text messages with more than 40 current and former Republican members of Congress, including Senator Ted Cruz, representatives Mo Brooks, Jim Jordan, and Marjorie Taylor Greene. And then I think the other big thing the committee really wants to hone in on is just how close we came to the peaceful transfer of power being interrupted. You know, a lot of times people say to me, why are they spending so much time uh, on the attempts to undermine the election results uh, when their focus should be just on January 6th itself? And the committee really believes those two things are intertwined. You do not have the peddling of the false election narrative uh, between November and January without having what happened on January 6th. Right. Post-election day, pre-Capitol riot. So what was Team Trump allegedly up to during that time? Well, the first thing is how they recruited uh, a group of people in the, the most important swing states to serve as fake electors. Uh, and they actually sent that slate of electors uh, to Washington, to the Congress, with the hope that Mike Pence would stand in the way and say, we're not taking the duly elected electors, but instead taking this false slate of electors. That shows just how serious they were undermining all these different plans. The other thing I think that is so interesting is, and it was something that was revealed as part of our reporting, is how early on they were talking about all these various scenarios to try and undermine the election results. You know, we were the first to report this uh, text message that Donald Trump Jr. sent to Mark Meadows on November 5th. It was two days after the election and before the election was even called for, for Joe Biden. Mm. And he lists a laundry list of potential ways for them to create legal challenges, to sow doubt uh, in the election results. On January 5th, Congressman Jim Jordan sent Meadows a message that read in part, quote, on January 6, 2021, Vice President Mike Pence, as president of the Senate, should call out all electoral votes that he believes are unconstitutional as no electoral votes at all. Many of these things that he put in this text message on November 5th were, were things that Republican allies of the former president tried to employ. And the day after the insurrection, also the day the Electoral College vote was officially read out loud, Meadows received a message reading, quote, yesterday was a terrible day. We tried everything we could in our objections to the six states. I'm sorry, nothing worked. What the committee, I think, feels is that in a lot of ways, people just kind of shrug their shoulders and say, this is just Trump being Trump. And in the grand scheme of things, it didn't matter. And what they, I think, are going to try and show through these hearings is that not only did it almost happen, but if we don't make some serious changes, there's the possibility that something like this could happen again. Like they're trying to say, 
our democracy is a little more fragile than we actually may think. Speaking of democracy, do the midterms in November have anything to do with why the committee is ramping things up right now? Or does it just like take this long to conduct an investigation this huge? Like, why now? Yeah, I, I think it's all of the above, right? Uh, I think there's no doubt that they really wanted to get the public hearings out ahead of the midterm election season. But they also want to get it out there in a time frame that gives them as a legislative body enough time to begin the process of creating legislative recommendations that can be employed, like a reform to the Electoral Count Act, uh, creating a better security posture for the Capitol. These are all things that would require legislative action, and they need to get the ball rolling on most of that. But I think to your your broader point, the most important thing is that there is a very distinct possibility, maybe even a likely scenario in which Democrats are not in control uh, of the Congress, at least the House of Representatives, uh, in January of 2023. So they need to get the work done as soon as possible. And then they'll ultimately release a final report, probably in September, sometime in the fall before the elections, that will be basically the definitive work of, of this committee and its investigation. Hmm. And so, Ryan, I guess I'm wondering, what does accountability look like here beyond just a lengthy report from a congressional committee? Like, we've seen a bunch of cases targeting the rioters themselves, but what about these other players that you're talking about? How does that work? Well, that's a great question. And so much of it is out of the hands of the committee because they are not a criminal investigatory body. Hmm. They are a legislative investigatory body. And so all they can do is collect this information. And if they come upon things that they believe uh, could be uh, criminally prosecuted, they have to hand it over the, to the Department of Justice uh, to indict and prosecute. And so the question is, when they reveal their final report, do they just Put all this information in a document, hope that Merrick Garland and the attorneys at the Department of Justice do something with it, or do they formally offer up a criminal referral where they say, we have found evidence of a crime and we are asking you, Merrick Garland, to investigate it. Those options are both on the table. And as they reveal more information, you would have to assume that the Department of Justice may step up their uh, investigation into what happened on January 6th even more. And the big difference between the committee and the DOJ is that there's no time clock on the Department of Justice. They can take as long as they want right, right. to get to the bottom of this, where the committee really has to have it all wrapped up by the fall. Right. And this ending phase of sorts gets underway on Thursday. You can catch it on CNN. Ryan Nobles on Capitol Hill. Thanks. Thank you. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Here's something else happening this week. Speaking of the midterms, there are more primaries this week. On Tuesday, voters will go to the polls in seven states, including California. Meanwhile, late last week, David McCormick conceded to Dr. Mehmet Oz in the Pennsylvania GOP Senate race, which had gone to a recount. The Sunday edition of CNN Five Things is produced by Paula Ortiz and me, David Rind. Our production manager is Matt Dempsey. Our senior producer is Mohammed Darwish. Our supervising producer is Greg Peppers, and the executive producer of CNN Audio is Megan Marcus. Have a good week. I'll talk to you later. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness. 
providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii.